0: Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Mother She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, I'm going to be talking with White House reporter Brian Karam. But we're not only going to be talking about shop. We're going to be talking about Brian and his personal life, not so much private, but personal stuff. It's going to be fun. I've been watching him online. He endlessly entertains me, and I just have a bunch of questions. So we're going to do that, but before we get into it, The Start Me Up podcast is independent, listener-funded, and woman-run. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup to see the variety of tiers offered, including the option to get two bonus What's Up episodes per week, kind of like my online journal where I get a little more personal and talk about whatever is on my mind. There's also an ad-free tier with a much shorter intro. Just visit patreon.com. Dot com slash up Now, please enjoy my conversation with Brian Karam. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Well, thank you, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. I've been wanting to have you on for a long time now because I, I, I told you on Twitter not too long ago that you're my favorite, favorite reporter, and you are. And the reason why is because... I'm my favorite <laughs> reporter, too, but go ahead. <laughs> you have such an awesome sense of humor, and it comes out. Like, with your silly pictures and there's a sense of fun, and like, you know, we see all these journalists all the time, and they're serious, and you're a serious journalist, but you're a serious journalist that allows your fun side to come out, and you also uh, play in a band, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask Brian some personal questions so we can get to know him. We all, you know, we know, at least my listeners know that you wrote uh, a book about the importance of newspapers and, and journalism and all of that, and I might ask you about that one more time, but Aside from the work that you do, I just want a little, you know, I want to know a little bit about you because you just seem so much fun. So we're just going to get, we're going to get to some headlines in a minute, but before we do, I first want to ask you about your band and, uh, you know, what kind of music do you play? Where do you play all that good stuff?
1: Well, I've been doing stand-up comedy for about 30 years. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Oh, the <laughs> band. You want to know about the
0: band?
1: Uh, <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> the band is
1: the Rhythm Bandits, and we've been together for about, I don't know, maybe 10 years.
0: Wow.
1: I, I've been in bands off and on since uh, uh, high school. It was the first time I got into a band in college. I was in a band. And I gave it up for a while because, you know, uh, raising kids and, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of good stuff. I had to give up my motorcycle, too. Um, but then, you know, as – as I, I, <laughs> right before, I don't know, it was during the Obama administration, I think I started going, God, I need to – I need to do this i need to get back into it and um so we you know me and a friend of mine I got together i had coached his his son in, in football and he came over to my house and saw my guitar and he said oh you play i go well, yeah well, you know I, I sing more than i play but he goes well i i love to play let's and i said well, let's you know put a band together so we did and uh that's so we've been having fun ever since we we gig out it's a pub band so we're at local bars mm-hmm. and uh you know, we played a couple of uh, concert venues, but mostly it's just about going out. There's nothing more fun mm-hmm. than putting together a group of guys, going out on stage, playing music that people like, and watching people have fun and knowing that you're the reason why they're mm-hmm. having fun. I had I get no more fun or enjoyment out of life than that. Well, it's like when you do stand-up comedy; it's often the same thing. That's mm-hmm. a little tougher road to hoe but when you get up and you you can make people laugh and make people enjoy themselves and forget for a moment the strife in the world and just live in the moment and enjoy that moment there really is nothing better than that and i I can't see it any more bluntly than that. It's just a damn lot of fun.
0: <laughs> well, and it looks like you have. I mean, I haven't seen much. I've just seen some of the photographs, and you have one video on your YouTube channel where uh, you're performing. Um, and it, it totally looks like you're having fun, and it, it just it looks like a fun time. So what kind of music are you performing?
1: Rock and roll, baby. <laughs> from the, I, I mean, everything. I mean, from Green Day to, uh, wow. uh, you know... Uh, Johnny, be good. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's just all fun, and it's music that's you know. And I don't like to do you know. There's you know. We'll start out the night with some of the softer music, uh, but I'm not one for ballads much. There's a there you know. I I would much rather get people up and dancing. Mm-hmm. My goal is for the you know. We do three sets in the night, well, so it's three to four hours, and I want you up and dancing for the whole. I am so uh, you know yeah. if I can put three or four hours into dancing so can you damn it so get out and have some freaking fun i don't want to hear about your bunions get up and dance
0: who are some of your favorite bands rock and roll bands
1: oh the beatles it starts and ends with the beatles for me (laughs) i mean look i I, buddy holly Mm -hmm. because he influenced the beatles chuck berry um Bo Diddley, you know, Bo, the Bo Diddley beat, you know, based on shave and a haircut, two bits, dun 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 mm-hmm. dun. I mean, that's the only rhythm and in, and in, in, uh, drum rhythm in uh, rock and roll that is named for a person, the Bo Diddley beat. So I love the Bo Diddley beat. I love uh, the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, Led Zeppelin, Green Day, uh, uh, and you know, of course, you can't go anywhere with Oh, I Feel Good, James <laughs> so, you know, I uh, I, I love all of it. R and B.
0: I'm
1: just. I'm not a big fan of modern country, or um, I'm not a big fan of um, you know gangster rap. But other than that, <laughs> I, I love all genres.
0: <laughs> what um, are you considered Generation X? I guess I'm the. Ta- you know, I have that discussion with people all the
1: time. I, I guess I'm the tail end of the baby boomers, uh, okay. technically. Okay. I remember when John Kennedy was, it's one of my earliest memories in my childhood is I remember when, you know, the day JFK was mm-hmm. assassinated and I, I remember it because I had never seen my mom cry. And what I remember was being in, uh, you know, I was like, maybe I was just short of three years old. And I remember being in, uh, the, uh, living room with my mom and we had this little black and white plastic television sat on a brass stand uh, and, you know, it was maybe, you know, I've got, I've got computers that are larger than that, you know, TV <laughs> was now. And we were watching the TV and um, I remember Jackie walking off the plane and it was a black and white TV. And I saw the stain on her dress and I mm. thought it was chocolate. yeah, And I saw my mom crying and I said that that woman spilled chocolate on her dress Aww. and mom was crying because she's got a chocolate stand. I bet never spill chocolate. Aww. And that, you know, that's my, that's where my childlike mind was. Yeah. Is I thought that, you know, mom was upset because the woman had spilled chocolate on her Aww. dress. And of course, you know, it was Jack's blood. Right. She wanted everyone to see it. And, um, so, you know, that, that moment struck me and I think that's a dividing line for generations mm-hmm. is if you remember that, but, You know, I, I, I guess it's the tail end of the boomers is the, is the, you know, long answer, but, um, I, I don't know. I just never identified with any generation. I just identify as me.
0: Yeah. Well, that's pretty obvious. I mean, you, you are kind of unique in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, now I want to know what, how did you get into journalism?
1: Uh, I wanted to travel the world on somebody else's nickel. I, uh, I, I, I liked writing when I was young. I, I, I gravitated toward writing. My, my family is filled with, you know, uh, my grandfather was a lawyer and a, an attorney and a, uh, I'm sorry, and and a judge district court. And then a circuit court judge, my grandmother, Karam, his wife was, um, raised five kids one of them autistic and still got her law degree and was a partner with her husband in a law firm and was one of the very first women to plead a case before the u.s supreme court i think she was like third or fourth to do it and um my my uncles one of them ended up being a the back when they had allowed democrats in the state of kentucky he was the senate majority leader um and my other uncle was a. was the chief justice of the circuit court so there was a family law firm mm-hmm. uh, and you know my dad sold cars <laughs> and i uh, you know I didn't like any of those but I liked to write and the more I got into it the more i wanted to i did want to travel the world on someone else's nickel I did want to see I wanted to be I wanted a first-hand seat at historic events and to be able to tell people about them so that mm. that led to journalism and um you know it, it's been a lot of fun that you know that's why I got into it, it doesn't it's never paid worth shit but you know it's always <laughs> been a lot of fun to do and as long as somebody else picks up the tab for my travel I'm fine
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh wow I mean that that's fascinating I actually was interested in journalism for a little while but eventually I went over to the acting side so um and it was so funny. Well, you know,
1: that's, you know, I could have been an actor but I wound up here. That, yeah, that, exactly. That dirty <laughs> Dirty Laundry as by, yeah. by Don Henley. But you know, I I do have one story I'll tell about being a journalist. I was covering a Francis Jones Mills was the treasurer of the state of kentucky in the mid 80s and she was on trial for i can't remember what it was uh screwing somebody over money wise you know embezzlement whatever and so we're covering the trial and an ap reporter came to me and she says, brian or you know last name caram are you in relation to uh peter david or or you know um or or uh my my uh, my grandfather fred and i said yeah that's my grandfather and my my two uncles and she goes oh Well, what's your dad do for a living? I said, he sells cars. And she goes, well, wait a minute. Your grandfather was a judge and a lawyer. Your two uncles are lawyers. You're a reporter and your dad's a salesman, a car salesman. (laughs) I said, yeah. And she goes, couldn't anybody in your family find an honest way to make a living? (laughs) I've always remembered that. This is off the lawyers, but it's true.
0: That's Well, my mom used to sell cars. In fact, you know, I've got a quick little funny story about that is we were living in Southern California at the time um, in, um, where was it, in Torrance, California, which is a beach town. And so yep. she was selling cars and uh, I think eventually she went up to finance manager and then there was, I don't remember the details of it, but the long and short was um, something pissed her off. Eventually, I know that she, um, well, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. Something pissed her off. And she decided she was going to quit, so she couldn't find the person to quit to. And she decided, well, fuck it, so she just quitted over the intercom. <laughs> she just did it to the whole showroom. I quit. And then I think, I think what wound up happening, and I might get some of this wrong, but at some point I know she was offered... Uh, to be the manager uh, You know of the entire dealership Which was the first for a woman But she turned it down So I just thought yeah. that was funny But yeah she was in the car business too That's kind of interesting um, And did you Were you born and raised on the east coast?
1: Louisville, Kentucky Oh that's
0: right what, And my, so you my, came
1: my, my dad's childhood friend Was Hunter S. Thompson Really? Um, yeah Um Wow my, the uh, very first uh, trophy that Muhammad Ali ever won was the Paul Karam award for gold in golden gloves huh. awarded to him by my cousin Louie um, in 1959 or 60 um, and they uh, I think my grandfather's law firm both represented at one point in time well helped Danny Thomas who was a cousin set up the uh, non-profit organization that became uh the uh saint jude's and helped wow. i believe muhammad ali get out of out from underneath to rip off artists in louisville and uh if you listen to my uncle uh joe he was the one that got hunter thompson out of uh a, a he had been accused of robbing a gas station or something and uncle joe got him out of that wow. and, and into the air force so he would later become a a reporter <laughs> So, <laughs> that, that yeah Louisville Kentucky was filled with uh, a, a lot of characters
0: mm-hmm. and then of course it was your journalism that brought you here right to DC
1: yeah I was um, working for a television show called America's Most Wanted that's what brought me here
0: interesting what were you doing on that show
1: I was the investigative reporter I was and that's why whenever if you ask me uh if I know of a city in and I say yes uh if, if it's a city in the United States and I say yes I know it then usually that means I have covered a horrible crime in that area and can tell you about you know a triple murder or <laughs> Or, you know, something like that. Uh, like in Torrance, uh, California, I covered a double murder. And right. how I know where that was. It was a guy who killed his wife, I think, and his wow. daughter. And then went on an eight-state crime spree. They always go on an eight-state crime spree. Before,
0: but, <laughs> I don't know no, why no more, no less. It's
1: eight states. <laughs> so that's, yeah. That, uh, so I was, uh, you know, I covered the Branch Davidians. I covered that. Uh, and that's I, I, you know, my first time in the White House was in uh, during the Reagan administration when I was uh, doing a piece on. I had been down in uh, Laredo and covered the border extensively, and when I went back to, uh, I got a job at WKYT TV in Lexington <laughs> as their capital, one of their capital bureau reporters. So I was covering the State House, and I covered Mitch McConnell way back when. Wow. Um, so I, I one of the things that we did was a story on illegal immigrants coming to Kentucky as part of the horse circuit. And to do that, the Simpson Mazzoli bill at that point in time was up for grabs and, uh, sponsored by Romano Mazzoli from Louisville. And that was to make it until that point in time, it may have been illegal to be in the United States without, you know, documentation, but it wasn't illegal to hire illegal immigrants. Hmm. And so this and by the way no one's ever really been charged for that Mm -hmm. uh you know and are prosecuted for it but that was up for grabs in the um congress at the time so i went up to do a piece on that and that's when i first you know i was there for a couple weeks and covered the um reagan administration for it and uh that was the first time i got to visit the white house and be in the brady briefing room and that was the first day there i met uh Sam Donaldson, Helen Thomas and and the president of the United States. And that was, you know, everybody's given Biden grief about tripping and falling. Yeah. And and I talk about often that, you know, here I was, I was like 24 years old. I was up in upper press uh, trying to talk to Larry Speaks when the Secret Service and I wasn't the only one. I think Helen was there and banging on the door. And if I did it today, they'd arrest me. But she banging on the door telling Larry Speaks to get his ass out here and talk to her. And about that time, Secret Service comes through and says, listen, you guys got to leave. The president's coming over here to talk to Larry. And uh, so everybody turns to leave. I turn to leave, and I trip and fell over my own feet. And oh. the next, you know, I'm, I'm looking up, and there's Ronald Reagan standing <laughs> over me going, uh, well, young fella, you don't have to bow in front of me. <laughs> that was my entry into D.C. So there, there was no sandbag involved, and I was 24. So if you want to gripe about, you know, Biden falling down, <laughs> give me a break.
0: I know, I know. I mean, my mother. It was so, so funny because she has a very similar story where she tripped over her own feet, and you know she was younger at the time. So yeah, I mean we we've all done it, and it's like they either call him, they say that he uh, has dementia, but then he outsmarts them at every turn. So they're all just idiots. Um, well, yeah.
1: yeah I I, I don't think you find me disagreeing with that
0: and we will be getting to the political questions in just a second but you have to indulge me a little bit more so let me ask you this with your job do you feel that your job is high stress
1: no I'm the one who applies the stress
0: (laughs) so and then would you say like with your job, I'm. Just, I know you write for Salon, so but that's different than. Do you also work for CNN still? Well, I go on
1: whenever somebody asks me to go on a show. I'll you know I'll go on a on a show whether it's on Fox, CNN, or mm-hmm. MSNBC, CBS. If somebody asks me, and you know I'm I'm free, I'll do it.
0: Do you have like? A, like a, a work week where you do the same thing every week or is it always different for you?
1: Uh, There's some, uh, there is a a bit of, um, you know, a a dull routine to it, a bit of a routine to it. It's Mm -hmm. not, and it's not dull, but (laughs) I mean, um, depends on where I am in the country. You know, like uh, a couple of weeks ago, I ended up being the pool reporter in LA for the VP. That was an eye opener. And, um, you know, and and then I still write the weekly column. I I try to come up with the ideas over the weekend. I'll craft it on a Monday or Tuesday, get it done by Wednesday, so it's uh, publishable by by Thursday. I, I try to put some thought into them and not you know mm-hmm. and and you 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 know you mentioned humor. I, I think humor is important to, for people to, mm-hmm. yeah. And and we we live in such a humorless world. People just. <laughs> are so, imp- it, it, they're so serious all the down da- You know, I feel like the Joker now, why wow, he's so serious. But you know, it's, they're, and it's, and it's always people are so damn full of themselves. You know, yeah. I'm right, you're wrong. And because I'm right, you're, you're the devil. I, I'll go fuck yourself. Excuse me. Um, but uh, that's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, if you can't take a little bit of humor, you know, it's like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down spoonful of humor helps everybody live together.
0: And
1: and that's what you got to do. Even, you know, I mean, I, I just laugh so often at, at people who take themselves seriously. I just, I, I don't get it.
0: Yeah, I know. And then there's just, and then there's the stupid factor, which I won't even get into, but yes. Um, it's, well, it, <laughs> stupid people don't usually have a very good sense no, of humor. They don't No, that. And you know, it's funny because I certainly never thought this was going to be my life. I, I started off blogging. And it's funny because a lot of people told me you should be a writer. And I was never interested, although I did study journalism briefly in college, but I didn't go in that direction. But what I was able to do, what I caught it like when I started blogging in 2012. Um, And basically what got me in the door was an open letter to Rush Limbaugh from a liberal slut. And I used my humor. I used my sarcasm and humor. And that's, you know, it's not that I'm the greatest writer in the world or specific. I mean, I'm not really a journalist or anything like that, but I used to write political blogs. But I definitely felt like incorporating humor was so important because initially starting out in my life, I wasn't political at all my mother was always political and she always watched the news and she always voted and she, she was always responsible and everything. You know, I was the nineties young woman who didn't give a shit because I was comfortable and I could go to, I could go to Planned Parenthood and I could get birth control and I didn't have to worry about anything. And so, um, I really just wasn't paying attention, you know? And, uh, so I, and I completely, man, I hate when this happens. I completely lost my train of thought, but, um, Let's just, let's just. I had a date
1: like that once. That's
0: okay. I hate when that happens. Ultimately, though, I think, uh, oh, I know. I was getting into the humor is that what I was able to do is, you know, I mean, even though I wasn't terribly political at that time, I was just starting out. I was political, but not hardcore. Um, I just noticed that the humor. If you put that humor in, you, you pull in people who are otherwise not interested in politics. And that's so important because that's what got it's kind of what, you know, I mean, I don't like Bill Maher anymore, but I used to enjoy his show because there was an element of, of, of humor to it. And so, yeah, it's extremely important. Like I said, I don't
1: like him anymore.
0: I, why do I not like him anymore? Yeah, uh, there's a number of reasons. But I think I think the number and I, OK, let me just preface this by saying I always thought he was kind of a dick. And um, But I agreed with a lot of what he said, and I thought he was smart. I didn't agree with everything, though. And uh, the thing that really pushed me over the edge was when he told the Me Too movement not to go too far. I was so fucking... I mean, he had already pissed me off a couple of, you know... He was starting to... I guess he sometimes he'll have a Republican on, which I don't care if he has a Republican, but if he lets them get away with a lie and doesn't call them out on the lie and lets them you know, just spew their bullshit, um, that pisses me off. And then so he said that. And then ever since then, it, to me, it's gotten worse where I just feel like he, you know, he said COVID is over when it wasn't over. It's still not over. But I mean, back when he said it, it was far from where it is now. There were just things about him that I decided that I don't want to listen to him anymore because I think he's, he, you know, he doesn't necessarily fight back against some of the lies in the way that I wish he would, and the way that I, I think he used to. Trying very
1: hard to go after both sides, but yeah, I think is. his greatest sin is he's just not funny. Yeah, that's, that's my, my I don't I don't give a shit about the rest of it. I just watch him and go boring. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, you know, the, the funny thing is, is I, you know, I never watched Politically Incorrect and I didn't like him. And and I, I hate to say it, but I just didn't like his fucking face. I didn't like his face. I never did. And and I wasn't political. But in 2002, I was invited to this A-list party in L.A. and I went by myself. So and I I was like, I think I was 30, I don't know, 33 and I looked great, you know. I was an actress at the time. I was in great shape. I looked amazing, and I went to this A-list party all by myself, and I saw him, and he, he walked right past me. And if if it had been 2012, I would have tapped him on the shoulder, and I probably could have had a conversation with him. But I just thought, Ugh, I did more. <laughs> But, you know, it's and and I and and the funny thing about this is and I'll be really brief because this is my Hollywood spin story. And I've told it before, but I uh, watched him in 2012 and Alan Thicke was on and I was like, oh, my God. And I saw Alan Thicke at that party, too. And Alan was checking me out. And so but nothing, you know, we didn't even talk to him, but he was hardcore, hardcore checking out. So uh, I got a hold of him through Facebook. And I was like, hey, you know, you and I, I wanted to go on, I wanted to go on real time. I saw him on real time. And I thought, because I was, I was the, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. I was the spokesperson for Rock the Slut Vote because of my, you know, uh, open letter to Rush Limbaugh from a liberal slut. So I was with this organization, Rock the Slut Vote, and I wanted to get on real time before the 2012 election. Rock the Slut Vote. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't start it. This other woman started it, and she asked me to be the spokesperson. So I said yes. Okay. And um, it was just because Rush Limbaugh called Sandra Flick a slut for like three days on his uh, podcast. So I we're on a show. I just want
1: to know how you rock the <laughs> slut
0: boat. Well, we just didn't take any I, shit from I the patriarchy. I'm that, but go ahead. <laughs> So I said, uh, I decided, okay, I want to get on real time. And I, I uh, messaged Alan Thick. And I said something like you are I, you and I were at a party in, in 2002 and and our something like we exchanged glances. So I was friendly. Like we exchanged glances. We never spoke. Blah, blah, blah. I told him I wanted to get a hold of the person uh, who runs real time. So I got the name of the producer and I messaged the producer and I was like, hey, Alan Thick recommended I get in touch with you, <laughs> which he didn't recommend. And so I was actually considered for that show. But um, I was contacted by the woman who books it, and she asked me for all of my information, and I didn't get on. And instead, it was, it was the show before the election, and the, the woman that they chose to be on the show was fucking Ann Coulter. I was so angry because it was like, okay, I didn't expect that it would be me, although I thought maybe we have a shot here. But um, Ann Coulter, thank God Obama won, but I was so pissed. I was really
1: pissed. And on shows with her. <laughs> she's nuts.
0: No, she is. Now, have you gone on real time?
1: Uh, no, I have not. I, have, I got invited once and wasn't able to do it. And I, uh, <laughs> they didn't call me
0: back. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> would you go now?
1: Oh yeah, sure. I'd go on. I, I don't have, you know, I don't have anything against going on and making right. fun of people and <laughs> I would probably be on there once. And then, you know, it would it, be like what Jim Morrison said when he, when he sang on Ed Sullivan, a band lyric, and he says, you'll never be back on Ed Sullivan. And he goes, "Well, oh, I've, I've already been on Ed
0: Sullivan. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, who gives awesome. A shit? You know, game <laughs> over. <laughs> New Join me, 48 Hours correspondent Aaron Moriarty, on my podcast, My Life of Crime OK, I guess we can start getting into some political questions now, Um, even though I still I still could ask you, I could talk to you for another hour about just fun stuff. But um, I do. You want. I know. I know it's my show and I, I could do anything. OK, well, you know what? Let me see something. Actually, before we get into politics, I will ask you because he's so darn cute. About your eternally happy grandson. Oh my God, you post his picture often and he's he looks like your little mini-me. So I just want to know how old he is and how often do you see him?
1: He is three years old. I get to see him more often when I'm out on the West Coast because that's where my uh, both of my sons live. I'll see him every day when I'm out here, uh, where all three of my sons live. And um, But yeah, he's very preco- precocious. <laughs> he's... Uh, <laughs> some of the things he does or does remind me of me but uh, <laughs> just, the other day he uh, he just took off out of the house and went running down the street and scared the hell out of his dad Aww. he he had his friend he, he called. what i like about him is when he's out in public he calls everybody friend hi friend Aww.
0: Hi.
1: and That's you know so at cute. that age you, you don't really want to you don't want to shake that out right. of them. you want it, it's nice that they see the world that way and you want them to keep seeing the world that way and that's that's always a challenge but um he's a good uh, it, it makes me happy just to be around him
0: yeah what's he's his name
1: my, the eternally happy grandson
0: but what's his real name or do you tell his real name
1: oh slevin his real name is slevin slevin uh, not a name i would pick <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you no know, i'm not the dad or <laughs> the mom but that was uh from the the movie actually, Lucky Number Slevin, is yes. Uh, uh, my son and his <laughs> wife both like that movie and like that name, uh, and so that's that's his name, Slevin Octavius. He'll probably be thirty-five before he grows into his name.
0: Wow. Well, he's just so cute, and every time I see him, I mean, he he does look like he's an eternally happy little kid. So <laughs> he is
1: usually very happy.
0: Oh, um, but he's an
1: only child right now, so he's. You know, I keep telling them they're going to spoil his ass, right. Mm-hmm. They need to get him. I want to see a grand, another grandson or granddaughter. <laughs> Not that there's any pressure. Right.
0: <laughs> All I keep
1: hearing is we're trying.
0: I can try harder. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> All right. Now we have to go into the politics, which in a way I don't want to do, but in a way I have to because I need to know your opinion about this. I'm going to start off with um, – the whole Trump indictment situation and Jack Smith and all of that. So Andrew Weissman posted yesterday that he thought Trump would be indicted this week. Now, we know the grand jury's meeting. I don't know when, maybe today. Um, And it it appears to be that they're at the end of the investigation. Now, I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly. Did you hear if they were were bringing in another witness? Or do you know if they're just meeting?
1: I I heard as you just reported that uh, there would be, you know, later this week, perhaps yeah, uh, an indictment or some statement made. Um, so we'll have to wait and see.
0: Yeah. Then that's what I was just basically going to say, because Weissman said he's pretty sure that it's going to happen this week. But like Ari Melber last night was saying, I don't know. I don't know when we can't, we can't really know when, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go with Ari on this just because I feel like it's impossible to know, what's happening but i i feel like we're going to see an indictment pretty soon but it may not be this week i mean are you getting any kind of gut feeling on this
1: i think that if there is an indictment to to come there'll be a statement so either the statement saying we've decided not to indict uh will come soon or the indictment will come soon mm-hmm. with what donald trump <laughs> said Yesterday on his uh, social media accounts leads me to believe that he thinks he's going to be indicted. Yeah. So uh, I I am assuming that that's going to be coming uh, sooner rather than later. But when is look? Grand juries are very. I've covered a lot of them. They're mm-hmm. very uh, tricky things. And anyone who would like to bet on. When something would come from a grand jury, um, you know, I'll, I'll take the over under on the uh, on, you know, on a long shot at, you know, at uh, Belmont before I take that, because it's just it, it's tough. To, it's tough to gauge.
0: Yeah. And do, do you think? OK, so there's also the idea. I mean, there are a lot of people out there who are under the very wrong impression that uh, if he's indicted our in jail that he couldn't run. Well, first of all, I don't think he's going to be going to jail before the 2024 election. I could be wrong on that if he's ever sentenced to jail, but I doubt it. There's but, uh, no way in
1: hell he'll be in jail before the 2024 no, election.
0: I don't see that happening. Um, but obviously, and then, and think Unless people he doesn't
1: make bail.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, there's, and then there's the idea that he's on trial during the you know 2024 election season and and there are people online who believe that that is going to hurt him and maybe it will what do you think do you think that's going to hurt him or do you think it's going to matter or even help him
1: the people at this point that are so enamored of Donald Trump while their numbers are probably smaller than in the 2020 election are far more um bound to him than mm-hmm. anyone else and so i would say that that his numbers will be continue to be the 28 to 30 percent range he will he if he stays in the race he will get the nomination because they're what they're I, i've gone over that in the last few days i can't believe the number of times I've, I've gone on let's see let's see we've got ron desantis mike pence chris christie nikki haley tim scott Donald Trump, Asa Hutchinson, the former Arkansas governor, radio host Larry Elder, Jackie gleason bob no, no, not Jackie gleason <laughs> um, and uh, the CEO of Anti-Woke, Vivek Ramaswamy. So these are the Pete and Ugly Kid Joe. So these are the guys that are running for uh, the Republican nomination, and none of them can attract the voters that he can. Mm-hmm. So he, if he stays in this race... He will get the Republican nomination. You have to wonder why Ron DeSantis is in it, because he attracts or tries to attract the same voters Mm -hmm. that Donald Trump does. And so that will—he has to be figuring—the only thing that makes sense from that perspective is that he believes that Donald Trump will not be in the race, and that he will and and I don't think there's you know it, <laughs> I don't think it's a natural conclusion to say that he would get Donald Trump's voters, but I'm sure that's what he thinks. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that is the only thing that makes sense to me as to why he's in the race. And so if Donald Trump drops out of the race, what would cause him to do it? Well, of course it would be you know the the simplest uh, reason would be he would have legal problems mm-hmm. and he's given himself an out already he has said that if you know he's running but if a doctor comes along and says oh yeah you, you know your health is is in trouble you shouldn't run that he will stop running right. so that would be what the excuse he would give uh-huh. for leaving the race the real excuse would be of course that he sees the handwriting on the wall yes. but Donald Trump doesn't ever read so no. that doesn't mean <laughs> crap I think he'll be in it and I think he'll um, he could win the GOP nomination, but at the same time – I have said this for a while uh, – I don't think he'll be on the ballot in 2024, whether the actuarial tables get him and he gacks out on a cheeseburger or he's <laughs> under indictment and is so – and has to fight all of those issues and doesn't want to you know, stay in the race. Or for some other reason, I just don't foresee Donald Trump being in the race in 2024. That hmm. being said, I don't think Ron DeSantis is the nat- is the natural heir, mm-hmm. and I think the Republicans, um, the the biggest thing that the Democrats should fear coming from the Republican Party is not Ron DeSantis, and is not Donald Trump. The biggest thing I think the the Democrats have to fear is. Understanding that the, the Republicans hate to lose mm-hmm. and will do anything mm-hmm. to keep from losing. They tried it in the last election and they didn't get it to work, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that they won't try something again. And the something that they should be afraid of in in the Democratic Party is a Liz Cheney ticket. Mm-hmm. If Liz Cheney, who could not right now get out of a Republican primary, somehow manages to get the um, the GOP nomination and Adam Kinzinger is a vice presidential candidate Mm -hmm. would absolutely terrify should be terrifying to most Democrats because she has crossover appeal Mm -hmm. I don't find her appealing Mm -hmm. she voted with Donald Trump 93 percent of the time but all the polls show that she does have a crossover appeal with Democratic voters, and that would be a very tough ticket to beat, mm-hmm. no matter who's on the Democratic side of the, of the balance sheet. So that's, that's my take on it in a nutshell, or not so much of a nutshell. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so how would it work if – so let's say Donald gets the nomination, and then, you know, as you said, he gacks out on a cheeseburger or whatever, and he's not the nominee – so how how would they figure out who the nominee would be? Let's just say well, the
1: Republican National Committee would then draft a nominee, in all likelihood, and then put it up to a vote. The Republicans, you know, for all that the blunder and bluster about how they're they're upset with the Democrats because you know uh, he's Biden's not going to you know isn't going to debate you know other Democrats. Well, the Republicans have the rules written, and let, let, let's be honest. It is you don't have to have an election. The primary elections are nice things because they show who, you know, the majority of people support, but we used to pick candidates from the parties in back rooms Mm -hmm. over a smoke and cheeseburgers (laughs) and bourbon and, and come out and go, okay, we drafted so-and-so and and Mm -hmm. then they have a floor debate. They've gotten rid of all that old party time politics and replaced it with the pomp and ceremony of, you know, uh, uh, primaries and caucuses and none of that used to be how they picked you know they they would draft them on two or three you'd take two or three ballots of voting among the delegates mm-hmm. to, at the at the convention to pick a uh, a candidate and they don't do that anymore it's perfunctory that the vote that they have on the floor is just to basically to um you know seal the approval of of the done deal done by the democrat uh, by the um primaries and the caucuses but so if a um if one of their uh, if the nominee were to suddenly not be on the ticket for health reasons or any other reason then what would happen is that you know the committee would pick who and then they would vote on it the committee members right in all likelihood so that's that's it in a nutshell there Hmm.
0: So, OK, I, I'm, I just want to know specifically, you were promoting Just Ask the Question podcast and you said Donald Trump is going down. DeSantis will make you throw up. And another indictment for Trump is probably coming up. OK, so why will DeSantis make us throw up? <laughs> Have you ever seen the guy? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. I Pudding mean, Fingers. I know. I was just wondering if there the, was any specific he has thing. all the appeal of roadkill.
1: <laughs> I know. I know I mean, he does. It he is not going to get the, the, the Republican nomination. He just won't. Yeah. And there are, I mean, the Republicans don't like him.
0: You mm-hmm. um,
1: know. <laughs> and Chris Anunu backing out of, of, of it because, you know, Chris Anunu actually has some common sense yeah. um, is, you know, is indicative of the fact that those who still have any sense in the Republican Party Are letting you know the dissent the maggots eat their own Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day they want to swoop in and uh you know and save the day but i don't see that there's any day to be saved i think the republican party as we've known it is done the biggest fear that we should have as voters is that these gerrymandered districts continue to allow minority candidates choose their voters instead of the voters choosing their yeah. representatives. That's a huge problem. And we have to clean that up.
0: Yeah. All right. So then it's not the same note, but it's kind of as far at least what the Democrats have to worry about. So we've got the no labels ticket with possible Joe Manchin. We've got Marianne Williamson running and Cornell West. Now it's not that I think any of these people are going to be president, but I'm how damaging do you think they can be to the Democratic Party in 2024
1: depends on how much funding they get and uh, how much we listen to them um, I don't see them as any type of serious threat um, I don't think that any of them can get, garner you know very many votes but at the same time it's such a close it mm-hmm. this if it is a repeat of the Last election, there are only six or eight states that really matter, mm-hmm. and in those are six or eight states. It's you know like a just a minimal number of votes per precinct that matter, and yeah. so one or two votes going to a third party candidate could could matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always it's just way too early to tell, yeah. and anyone who wants to handicap this race right now. Uh, is I, I just don't see how you do it, and you know, and maybe I'm not very good at doing it, but I just don't see that it can happen hmm. when you don't really know who the candidates are and what's going to happen before. I mean, before the conventions. Mm-hmm. I, after the conventions, and the, and we picked running mates and and presidential nominees. Okay, then I'll, I'll talk then, right. or I'll prognosticate then. And you know, those those are people, and and most. <laughs> Most prognosticators got it wrong. In, yeah, the, in true, the last election, true. thought yes. Hillary was going to win. Yeah. And um, she just, you know, that didn't happen. So mm-hmm. you, I, handicapping is particularly when you've got someone as volatile as as uh, Donald Trump in the race is just damn difficult to do, and it's really hard to do. There, it's like, you know, trying to read sifting sand right now. You just <sighs> can't do it. It's mm-hmm. um, so anyone who says they can is just a liar.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Or a fool, or both. Yes. <laughs> okay. My last question here. Um, I believe yesterday Gavin Newsom he's bringing kidnapping charges against Ron DeSantis for his migrant. <laughs> That's stint. the rumor.
1: That's hilarious. Right.
0: So okay, let's just go with it and say he does it. Um, my question to you is: Do you think this will inspire Democrats to be a little bit more creative and aggressive when? Uh, fighting for democracy do you like do you and and then the bigger question is do you do you see democrats getting better i'm you know i'm going to maintain that voters are part of this deal too that we have our part to play but that we've got you know we've got leaders whether they're in the party or they're you know outside groups or whatever messaging groups um do you see that that messaging is getting more aggressive or more creative or more effective
1: I maintain that in this country we have two political parties. One has two major political parties. One has no heart, and one has no head. <laughs> and I don't see either one of them growing the appendage they need. The um, the, <laughs> oh, that, that it, the Democrats piss me off all the time because it it's it's like you know well we said it once well, God you watched Donald Trump for four mm-hmm. years drive a narrative based on no facts right you actually have some facts at your disposal and you will not drive the narrative you let the republicans frame the narrative every single time Mm -hmm. that you let them say that liberalism is a bad thing you let them say that you know donald trump promised us for freaking four years infrastructure reform it's infrastructure week here at the white house (laughs) i heard that every damn monday for four years and they did squat. (laughs) Biden has gotten in, and look, I've traveled across this country three times back and forth in the last year and a half, and I can tell you with my own eyes that we are finally upgrading infrastructure. Mm -hmm. If you've been on an interstate anywhere and had to sit and wait for a while, you get it. Mm -hmm. They're uh, upgrading railroad crossings, they're upgrading water, all these things that are good for rural America, by Mm -hmm. the way, Mm -hmm. and would help bring drive some of those red states towards the blue mm-hmm. and you can't find any democrat running on the things there are two issues that if i were a democrat right now i would be going listen we have the right to choose 80 percent of the people on the planet on in the united states agree with that sentiment mm-hmm. i'd be driving that narrative mm-hmm. and i would be driving the narrative that you know the republicans promised we delivered we delivered we delivered now Biden says that on occasion, but the difference is during the Trump administration, it wasn't just the president who he shot his mouth off whenever he wanted for sure, but you had you know, pe- <laughs> you had people on the South Lawn, you had people on the North Lawn, you had them on the TV shows, you had them, you know, uh, oh, Kellyanne Conway mm-hmm. every day driving the false narrative going yeah. on any shows she could. There were people, Mike Flint, you know, all of them were, were preaching the lies and people bought them. Mm-hmm. They bought into it. This guy's got the truth behind him, and you've got—I've actually seen Republicans running on the infrastructure bill that they voted against yeah. as if they're the champions of
0: it. Yeah.
1: And for the love of God, open your mouth up. You, it's not enough to say it once. You got to keep saying it. You got to keep saying it. You got to keep saying it. Mm-hmm. You got to keep saying it. But they let the Republicans, you know, frame the narrative. For example, George Santos. Now, you can point and say the you know the press didn't do a good job. One newspaper uncovered his lies and his BS before that, and we didn't run with it, and we should have. Mm-hmm. However, the Democrat who ran against him, where the hell was he? Yeah, I wasn't he standing out there every day on the street corner going right. liar, liar, yeah. liar, <laughs> liar, 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 liar? bullshit, lie, lie that, I mean, i that would have been my whole case for yeah. getting you know, I, and, and I don't look at them as leaders either, I look at them as employees mm-hmm. they work for me, mm-hmm. they're the tax do- my tax dollars, pay for them So, damn it, you are responsible for my to answer the questions of your constituents. Yes. And they don't do it. And we don't we don't hold them accountable in the press. Mm -hmm. And the Democrats don't do what they need to do in order to get their word out there. Very frustrating all the way around.
0: Yeah, it is very frustrating. I will say and I agree with you 100 percent, but at least I do think we're seeing a little bit more fight in them I mean I I I, you know there's certain Democrats that are really good at it you know Jamie Raskin is pretty good at it and so is um, I've known
1: Jamie for 20 years and he's never shied away from a fight yeah I mean he was um I you know back when he was in the state house in Annapolis he was that way but and he you know and god I I uh by the way I was the when we had debates among the nine candidates in his first run for that office, I moderated those debates. Wow. And he was, um, he never, he, he was like Donald Trump in one regard. And that is he had a solid base of people who supported him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Kathleen Matthews was favored to win that race. And then, uh, David Trone jumped in at the last minute. And those two split the votes and the base that supported jamie um you know uh, kept they kept with jamie and he therefore he won the race and thank god he did because yeah. uh kathleen and david would not have as you know they're as whatever they are they would not have been as as good yeah on the constitution and on those it, and in the um impeachment and the january 6th committee hearings as jamie raskin yes yeah. and so yes there he's but he's always been that way. I'm talking about a central... The strategy I'm talking about comes from the White House.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And the yes. White
1: House strategy for communication is baffling to me because it's so ineffective.
0: You're right. Yeah, I know. That's really... It's like... Ugh. It, it's disappointing and it's extremely frustrating because you constantly see... I mean, just me as a regular person on the internet or whatever and constantly in the news, I'm always seeing the... I don't know what else to call them. The bad people. The bad people keep winning. I mean, yes, we, we have wins and obviously Biden won and all that stuff. But, but bad ideas and bad people keep getting ahead because, like you said, they repeat, they repeat, they repeat. And, you know, when I started doing my thing, like social media work online, what I realized very quickly, like when I was an author and I wanted people to read my book, I realized what you have to do is spell it out. Click here. If you don't say click here, they'll be like, I don't know how to get your book, even though the URL is right there. It's like people need to be told how to do certain things. And I, I wish that the Democrats would realize that it does need to be spelled out. It's not that people are stupid. It's just that people are busy. Sometimes they're stupid, but but they're busy or they're not paying a lot of attention and they just need, show me what to do and I'll do it. and And I think the Democrats could... Yeah, a little I think that more qualifies with
1: that. as stupid, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure,
0: <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you the benefit of that. But no, I, I no.
1: In, in all sincerity, I think the the big problem is uh, that you're you are overwhelmed with information.
0: Yeah, definitely. And yeah.
1: What gets through in in life is the repetition. Yes. And you have to, you know, it's it, that's why. It's ver that's one thing that Donald Trump excels at since he's not that bright himself. If you give him three words to say, Mike America great again you know or you know, that guy maybe make America great again. If you do that, then then you know he can do it and people hear it and they respond to it. And um, the Democrats are not that they there's more nuance to them than yeah. that. And but it's frustrating to me to listen to go out and interview you know and uh, <laughs> representatives and people running for government knowing that they're lying and i call them on the question on their lies, but they know they can get away with those mm-hmm. lies because people will believe them and instead the people will get upset because i'll ask them about their lies mm-hmm. when basically they should be upset because these people are lying to them right taking advantage of them and at the same time, no, you know, it, it's like the wise man said, it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they've been fooled.
0: So true. Oh, it just makes me think of certain MAGA family members. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, we all have. Them. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Well, you know, I just got to say, I absolutely love talking to you. I love when you're on the show and the next time you come back, I'll probably come up with some more, questions just about your life because that was really fun and I didn't get to all of them but I just want to say thank you so much
1: well, what you got what you got in your pocket there
0: oh. kid? <laughs> <laughs> um, let me let me look through okay well this is just a silly one um, <clears throat> what all kind right. what are what are your favorite so, some of your favorite movies Ooh, plan nine from outer space
1: Bitch uh, <laughs> <laughs> mountain um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I did see a movie lately that I loved, and I hadn't had a movie experience like it in a while. And it was great. I took my kids to it. We went to see The Machine with Burt Kreischer and Mark Hamill from hmm. Star Wars playing his dad. And I laughed. That was the best movie experience I've had laughing in a while. Hmm. So wow. I love that comedy. But, you know, Blazing Saddles, I love. Yeah. Jaws, I love. Mm-hmm. Uh uh <laughs> one flew over the cuckoo's nest mm-hmm. uh, i have to see that uh, <laughs> to kill a mockingbird i don't know if i have a favorite and uh, and 2001 a space odyssey just cuz it's trippy yeah <laughs> uh, <science fiction. laughs>
0: you know it's funny my sister she's 18 years younger than i am and she came out to visit me in california one year i think i she was probably about 12 and I kept using the word trippy, and she's like, "What does trippy mean?" <laughs> so every time I hear now, that word, let, let me take you back to Woodstock, baby. Know. <laughs> you know,
1: Here's the thing about LSD. <laughs> right. here's a, I, for, you know, I was a young kid in college, and and you get warnings, right? First of all, cocaine. I was never attracted to cocaine because it was like hundred dollars, yeah, and you know. 30 minutes straight up and then, you know, straight down. I'm going, that's not a wise application of my limited funding. So, you know, I I guess it's the rich man's drug, you know, because I was in college. And then the other one, you know, was that, all right, weed was fine. It could take you for a while. But they would say, all right, LSD. You take a tab of LSD. You got to be careful because if you take a tab of LSD – you're gonna be gone for about ten hours and then twenty years from now you're gonna be walking down the street and you're gonna you're gonna be tripping again. You'll have a flashback. And I'm going, Well, that's like a two for one deal. <laughs> All right. I'm a good capitalist. I'm in. And so here has been, you know, more than twenty years. I've never had my flashback. I think it was a false advertisement, and I can't find my dealer to sue his ass in court.
0: <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Did you enjoy it? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> no, yes, I did. How old I, I, were you?
1: There was there was a saying that Paul McCartney had that I liked about LSD. He goes, it's like taking an aspirin without having a headache. <laughs> and, and so at the end of the day, when it was all said and done, it was a lot of fun. I mean, right. I, th- honestly, I remember I I <clears throat> I was in a class, a speech class in college. Okay. And I had dropped a couple of hits of purple window pane. <laughs> And I and I went to my speech class. So it, it was the big part of the class where, you know, on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we gave presentations in this theater. So there'd be like 500 people, and you'd have to make your speech. I was scheduled to go on Friday and not on the Wednesday. But you're supposed to be ready to go at any point in time, and I didn't figure I was going to have to go. But sure enough, the two people that were supposed to go that day didn't. So I'm tripping balls, and they put me up there to, to, to make my speech. To this day, I cannot tell you what it is that I said. I cannot tell you what the subject matter was, but I do remember getting a standing ovation <laughs> I and an love A-plus it. on the speech. Wow!
0: <laughs> the, oh, man. I wish somebody would have recorded that. That's so yeah, funny. I was, you know, I
1: was like, <laughs> what did I say? I just, and at one point, I remember looking out over the audience, and they looked like,
0: Bleeding sheep. They were all. Ble- <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, all right." That's- so that didn't freak you out. Yeah, no, i You know, I was, wow. I enjoyed the hell out of it. <laughs> now, did you did you ever try mushrooms? Yes. Did you like them? Yes, I did. I I wound up in Hollywood Presbyterian the night that I <laughs> tried oh, mushrooms. My goodness. No, yeah, I, it was bad. I um,
1: In fact, I gave them to my dad when he was when he had cancer. I I was trying. I had all kinds of suggestions how to get my dad's uh appetite back he had been diagnosed with lung cancer and they gave him like six weeks to live and he took two years Hmm. and i went down and pulled him out of a, a hospital at one point in time i said you're moving in with me so i sold off all his shit he was living in texas and moved him up with me to uh gaithersburg and we started every day walking and we would measure our walks and you know the mailboxes Mm -hmm. by the side of the road so he started out four or five mailboxes and he'd have to go back home Mm -hmm. and he had lost a lot of weight and after a month i had him up to almost three miles a day we
0: were walking
1: and um i got his appetite up by getting him high Mm -hmm. but the pain was tough on him Mm -hmm. from uh he at one point in time in fact, I went to see him in San Antonio, and the doctor said, listen, the the cancer's everywhere in his body except his heart and his uh, brain. We don't think he has much time left. And I said, have you told him? Mm-hmm. And he goes, no. I said, well, don't you think you should? And he said, well, will you go with me? And I'm going, great doctor. Yeah, sure, fine, all right. So we walk in. He tells, you know, Mr. Karen, the cancer is here, there, everywhere, and, <clears throat> and we don't think he had much time left. And my dad, who looked like a skeleton, sat bolt upright in bed and said, fuck you. <laughs> and the, the doctor said, what does that mean? I go, I'm betting on the guy that says fuck you. So I <laughs> I packed everything up. I moved him up there. And to get rid of the pain, there was a doctor who said, I, you didn't hear me say this, but opioids aren't the best because uh, they'll make him constipated and mm-hmm. provide other problems. He goes, but get him some hallucinogens. And I'm going, oh, I'm just the guy for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh hey, not a problem so you know i knew a guy who knew a guy who had a cousin who knew a guy and i got him some you know uh mushrooms and he that helped him out a lot i gotta wow. tell you he filled the pain more than anything else
0: interesting now did he have like was he tripping he must oh, have yeah, been he tripping. tripping balls did he, did he like it did he like it
1: he loved it wow <laughs> But wow. you know, it's the environment. Yeah, that, it is. One thing to learn about hallucinogens is that you have to make the environment comfortable mm-hmm. and warm and inviting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if it isn't, then you can you can create a bad trip quicker than anything else. Yeah, and then you so, wind up in the hospital. Like you found out. Yeah,
0: I mean, because I was a teenager and I just figured, oh, mushrooms are from the earth, and what's what could be wrong with that? I was afraid of LSD. So I just thought, well, you know, mushrooms are the natural thing. And my girlfriends had all had them. And it was my it was the beginning of my senior year. And we were going to go up to the Griffith Park Observatory, which at the time I was living in Torrance. So the Griffith Park Observatory was a far pretty like an hour away. And yeah. um, I won't go <clears throat> into the whole story because I've told it here before. But but the funny part's. Uh, so first what we do is we're driving around Torrance all day and we had told everybody at my school laser show, Led Zeppelin laser show at the, you know, at the observatory. So we're telling everyone to go. And then that Saturday we're just driving around in my friend's uh, 57 Chevy and we meet up with these young guys that my friends knew I didn't. They were the ones who had the mushrooms, but we had been drinking Bartles and James. I don't even remember if I ate anything. So I only like had Bartles and James in my stomach. And then we get to the observatory and we take, it was like just a little bit, like a little, um, circle in your palm amount of mushrooms. I didn't chew them up very well because they tasted nasty and I, I wound up, um, you know, passing out and they, <laughs> it was so awful the the ambulance had to come and they had to carry, they, they, Got, they put me on a stretcher because I couldn't walk, and I was so embarrassed, so I put the sheet over my head, and my friend's yelling to everybody she's not dead, she's just embarrassed <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so my mother had
1: Bartles and James in you who was better Bartles or James
0: <laughs> well, I get well, I know this is so gross, but when I got into the um to the uh what's it called? I can't think of the the the. Criage, ER. No, no, it's I. Why ambulance? When I got into and, the ambulance, yeah. I told the guy, "What are they gonna do?" He's like, "Well, they're probably gonna give you some charcoal and make you throw up." And I'm like, "Give it to me now!" And he's like, "No, you could just wait till you get to the hospital." And I said, "If you don't give it to me now, I'm gonna stick my finger down my throat and do it myself." So he did. And um, oh. when I got sick, it was just and James, and mushroom. <laughs> That's all that came up. And but it was funny because. You know my mother, who's very cool. She is a very cool mother. Um, she always told me, if you're going to do something like mushrooms, please do them at home. She didn't want me to do them, but she, but it's like you said, she understood the environment. She had a bad trip uh, on acid when she was younger, so she she said, you know, make sure that you're in a safe place. And of course, I didn't listen to her. So I told the uh, paramedic and the people at the observatory, you know, call my mother, call my mother. And eventually when they're going to wheel me off, I said, did you call my mother? And they're like, yeah. And I said, well, can I call her? So no one had (laughs) called her. And she (laughs) answers the phone and she was fucking watching Falcon and the Snowman. And um, I'm like, mom, (laughs) has anyone called you? No. And it was like her one day off. She was Uh, working in the car business and it was one day off the next day. And so uh, I'm like, has anyone called you? No. And I'm like, oh, you're going to be really pissed. Well, what's wrong? I'm like, you're going to be really angry. She goes, just spit it out. <laughs> go, I'm on shrooms. Here's the paramedic. And then the paramedic oh, basically cool. told her where to go. And then she, she had to come pick me up. And it was like, it, it was not a fun situation for me. And I never tried hallucinogens after that. So that was my experience with mushrooms. And
1: those, those were my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> That's what but I hear. The, the, yeah. uh, the thing that you said about your mom, that was one of the things you know that kept me from being like a lot of kids that I grew up with, my dad and my mom both were like, listen, you're a teen. Mm-hmm. We know you're going to drink. Don't mm-hmm. pretend you're not. Mm-hmm. You're going to try some things. Don't, don't try to hide it from us. Mm-hmm. Just don't drink and drive. Don't take anything and drive and do it here in a safe environment, yeah. and we won't care. Right. And so I never felt the, the need. yes. I I call it the cookie jar syndrome. If you tell a kid anywhere in the kitchen but the cookie jar, where's the first fucking place you're (laughs) going to go? So, you know, they said, oh, there must be something great in the cookie jar. I'm going there. (laughs) But, you know, they told me that the cookie jar was fine, so I was like, eh, I'll try the cookie jar if I want, but it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. So I never drank to excess. I've never blacked out. I've never done anything like that because I just never felt – the need to do it or yeah. I felt like it was anything that was a worthy experience because my, my parents and yeah, I, that, that had a lot to do with, you know, I, I, I know plenty of people that are <clears throat> journalists that are alcoholics yeah, and I'm not one of them. And you know, I don't do much of anything anymore because I just don't feel the need to. Yeah. And thank God that my parents taught me the way they did because it's helped me keep in a better physical shape than some of my uh, friends who are, you know, not in that good of shape.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I always said it's like my mother basically gave me nothing to rebel against. In fact, when it came time when I was 15, I fought with her so hard and she still brings this up to that day. Like if if I want to get my way and I finally get it, I'm like, I got my way. She's like, I know you, Kimberly. I know how you are because I was arguing for a two o'clock curfew. And um, I mean, I it, we just went round and round and round, and I wore her down. And I think I got her to a one o'clock curfew. And as it turns out, you know, I mean, I didn't have a car; all my friends did, and they had to be home by twelve. So I had—I was always home before twelve. But I won the debate.
1: Here, you got a two o'clock curfew. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, my my dad was infamous. He had my mom and dad were divorced by this time. And when my daughter, my my daughters, my sisters were dating, and uh, I my dad was just so good at, at intimidation. And he would and I remember one time he go, um, all right, uh, where are you guys going tonight? I mean, he's over at the house every time my sister would go out on a date and he didn't live there. My mm. mom was fine with it because she didn't want to deal with that. Right. shit. So <laughs> Dad's there. And, and, uh, he goes, all right, so where are you going? Oh, we're going out for a dinner and a movie. <clears throat> what time are you going to have her home? Well, her curfew's at midnight. Yeah, so what time are you going to have her home? Uh, uh, 11.30, be okay? Good, good, good lad, good lad. Okay, yeah, <laughs> good job. So then I remember one time this kid came rolling in like five minutes past curfew with my sister. My dad is sitting on the front porch of the house in a rocking chair with a shotgun <laughs> that's not loaded right but he racks the shotgun <laughs> you brought her home late <laughs> boy and my sister's jumping out of the car going daddy daddy he doesn't understand lebanese humor don't hurt it and the guy's like ah! and he off, never to be seen again
0: wow <laughs> Oh, my God, that's so freaking funny. Oh, my God. It, it it I think you're so right about the when you just tell a kid the cookie jar theory is perfect. It's so yeah. true because that's exactly what you want to do. And I just like when I was a kid, I, I, I feel really fortunate because my mother, while she was not the traditional kind of parent, in that my parents were also divorced and there were a lot of times where, you know, when she was in the car business, she worked bell to bell, which means, you know, nine to nine. I was on my own a lot. And, um, but she oh, always, yeah, we
1: were last key kids before school yes, to be a last exactly. key kid. Exactly.
0: We totally were. And I mean, we freaking invented it, our generation, because it was our parents that were getting divorced at like high yeah. rates. And so, yeah, I mean, and I felt that because I had that experience of my mother basically just having to trust me it, sometimes it worked, it worked against both of us because I think she put a little too much faith in me. <laughs> but, but eventually, well, I mean, I was a good kid, basically. Out, right,
1: so what the hell? <laughs> exactly. That's, I mean, So what year were your parents divorced?
0: Well, uh, I think it was 71. Uh, well, uh, no, let me take that back. They split up when I was three. And then I don't know when the divorce came. It was several yeah, years later.
1: That's, that's the year my mom and dad got divorced, 1971. I was going on 11. None of my brothers or sisters who were much younger remember them together I remember them together and the, when dad was see they got married too young
0: mm-hmm. so did and mine. they
1: grow up together they grew apart mm-hmm. and they both never found better mates than their original pairing those two mm-hmm. together and so when pop is dying of cancer I remember my mom she goes, uh, <clears throat> I, she's calling him up he's in hospice tell jim i love him I, dad uh mom wants to talk to you she says she loves you and he goes ah that ship sailed on that 20 years so, <laughs> dad just just say i love you too pat i love you too <laughs> and so i'm going all right good and then you know they they the thing about it was is they it was during that era you know like a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle yeah and, there was you know men were fighting against their traditional mm-hmm. roles not wanting women to be in the workplace there was a, it was a time of, yeah. of we look at today as a time of strife but come on when i grew up in the 60s and the <clears throat> early 70s that was when the civil rights movement mm-hmm. was new and there was you know plus we had tet we had you know the vietnam war we mm-hmm. had riots at the democratic national convention bobby got shot martin luther king got shot riots and in major cities every day. It was, it was horrible, mm-hmm. but we didn't have social media. Right. Which is the difference. Yes. And, but we did have all those things that were going on. And I just think it over, in, in my case, I know it overwhelmed my parents. Mm-hmm. They just didn't know how to deal with it. And, you know, my mom was a uh, very, and still is very strong woman, very strong willed woman. and and she was on, you know, she was, on did a morning show on local television. Wow. She was a, auction manager for a, the public television station. She broke the glass ceiling many times. Hmm. And, um, and she was always one of my biggest, I mean, when I was growing up, you know, you're a mama's boy. I go, what's wrong with that? I love my mom. What the (laughs) fuck? Right. You know, (laughs) I mean, my dad was out of my life for 10 years and and didn't see him, but that era, we look at it today and, Everybody thinks that everything that we're going through today is so unique, and I'm just going. Ah, it seems like I've been here before.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yes, and you know what's funny? I just learned this. Uh, my mother told me today. I guess Rachel Maddow is coming out with a new show, uh, Deja News, for that exact reason that we've gone through all of this before. And you're right that yeah. the difference is we didn't have social media then, but this we're not really going through anything new.
1: Yeah, it's same as it ever was. Yeah, pretty much. And. I, and that's, you know, and having lived through it once, and I, you know, I, I listen, you know, my wife and I one day were walking in the, the mall of all places, and there's this kid walking along with a marijuana hat, a marijuana t-shirt, and he's talking about the weed, he's what, he's a, a street team guy who works for one of the weed places out in L.A., and, you know, the weed, right? first of all, I love the fact that you ride in the store today, and it's, it's like drive-through for weed. Right, <laughs> I know. But I was you know it was a baggy and you know four <laughs> fingers deep and twenty dollars and you did it on the side and, you know it was sketchy and you didn't know and this is all in the up and up you walk mm-hmm. in it's like a Seven Eleven a weed i'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> 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 walking along and I, I just laughed i mean it laughed and the kid saw me laugh. he goes what's the matter pops and oh I go, what's the matter thing, pops? Uh, not a thing and he goes Well, you know, the problem with your generation is you just don't understand the weed, man. You don't understand the (laughs) weed. (laughs) What you don't understand is my generation invented (laughs) (laughs) it. You know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine with the weed. In fact, (laughs) if you did weed every day for the rest of your life, (laughs) you wouldn't catch up with
0: me. So get (laughs) out of here. Oh, my God so funny! Wow, they called you Pops. I mean, what is this? Nineteen yeah. fifty. <laughs> oh, dude,
1: that's dude, funny. Get me started. I'll break my foot off in your ass. Goddamn it! <laughs> That was my dad's favorite saying. Don't make me break my foot off in your ass. <laughs> Dad, how would you do that specifically? What? How would I, that work? I'm curious. I don't want it to happen, but well, there would be a lot of force there.
0: <laughs> and why my ass? Are
1: you are you particularly enamored
0: of my ass?
1: Are, are you a Catholic priest? I, you know.
0: oh. oh, my God. Well, I know in Maryland in July it goes full-on recreational. It's funny because Bob and I moved um, – from we were in northern california for a while and we moved here his parents are also in you know virginia my parents are here but um california had just gone recreational and we left <laughs> and so now maryland is going recreational so i guess that's, yeah, i mean it a should just, just right happen the
1: street for me i've already scoped it out <laughs>
0: <laughs> there i mean it's just everybody should do it now there's so much revenue
1: there's well, so much good I, to be. I, you know,
0: I go back to the
1: comedian Bill Hicks. And yes, he who I love. That I think is so true. He said, "Not only did he think that marijuana should be legal, he thought it should be mandatory." <laughs> and I think it would solve a lot of world's ills if some, if, if some of these uptight assholes just, just got high yeah. and laid. And, and I think we'd all be better off for it. Yes. And, you know, I, I worked as a bouncer in college briefly at a bar, and I broke up a lot of fights among drunks. Mm -hmm. In fact, I remember one, one drunk one night got so angry at another guy. He ripped his, uh, the, 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 they were sprawling out in the parking lot. One of them had a nipple ring on and the guy ripped the nipple ring off and took the nipple with him. Oh my God. Uh, And I mean, Drunks are nasty.
0: I know they Violent are. people. Yeah.
1: But, you know, I never broke up a fight no. between two stoners. <laughs> no. And that, you know, that's, that, you know, uh, stoners, when they get in a fight, it's like, dude, you stole the last Twinkie. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i got a brownie.
0: Cool.
1: That's it. That's, that's what they do. So you know, there'd be fewer wars. Just imagine if everybody had to get stoned before they went to war.
0: Everybody. Exactly. It's, well, and, you know, I told this before, but I think it's worth mentioning because I'm going to go ahead and guess that you do not watch Real Housewives of New Jersey. And I do. That's and true. I, I don't. <laughs> although men do watch these shows. And I, I have found oh, out. Oh, they do. Yeah, I'm it's just like not one of them. yeah, and it's like neither is Bob. He can, he he just avoids the whole living area when I'm watching it, which for good reason. But I I enjoy it for the reasons that I enjoy it. But um, so you know, part of that show, regardless if it's New Jersey or LA or wherever, alcohol is involved and fighting is always. That's oh, that is one of the big draws, right? Is where everybody's yelling and screaming at each other. So here's the this thing happened a couple of weeks ago, and my mind was blown. Now, this is the New Jersey crowd, and so they're pretty much like the Sopranos. I mean, they're so close to the Sopranos, it's unbelievable. And there's this one guy who just looks like the Italian Jersey dude. He's, he's all built and muscular. He's very, 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 you know, macho type. And so it, it, you know, he comes out with this whole thing about, hey, I'm working for, basically he's working for a marijuana in industry. I don't know exactly what he's doing, but he's a stoner, and he's getting stoned all the time. And so there's this one night where all the husbands get together and all the wives get together. All the wives are drinking and all the husbands are smoking pot. And seriously, you just it was such a difference. The women are all screaming at each other and being nasty and horrible. And the men were just having a grand old time and laughing and eating. <laughs> it was like, well, there you go. <laughs> that's what pot does. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the, these these these. It's funny to see this, you know, kind of macho, tough Italian guy just letting it all, you know, be loose and having fun and it's exactly send everybody to war, get everyone high, send them to war and we'll have a much better uh outcome. I totally agree.
1: <laughs> what do you
0: mean go to war, dude? Wait, I, I
1: can I take a nap know, first? Fuck
0: that. <laughs> Yeah, um, me too, man. Well, hey, are you my enemy? No, I brought some brownies. Oh, dude, great! Yay! Let's have brownies. Make brownies, not war. Uh, well, and you can also make pot brownies. So there you go. You could have like that. Double edibles whammy. are the best. Yeah. No, not for me. though. I, I can't handle that.
1: Edibles. As, I don't like to smoke anything anymore. But you know, I'll, I'll take you know maybe a cigar because I don't inhale. It. Oh, you sit back. <laughs> but. <laughs> If you're going to do, if you're going to ingest anything, just, just take, you know. Edibles. Well, I've,
0: t- I've tried the edibles and I, it's, I get, I'm so sensitive that I just, it's like I took, um, a sleeping pill because whenever I take a sleeping pill, I wake up completely groggy and I always, you know, I, it, it just makes me too tired. I'm too lethargic well, that, and too don't tired. Don't
1: do that. It's the, um, you want to do the sativa. You don't want to right. do the other.
0: Right, right. The, um, uh, indica, which the way indica- you remember it is in the couch. That's that's the way yeah, they taught and,
1: me. And put you in the couch.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I I should let you go because we've been on for like an hour and a half now. So I okay. told you forty to sixty minutes, and we're just you know, and we're gonna have you know, we talked about this um, off mic, but it would be awesome if you and your wife and Bob and I ever get together for dinner we live close to each other I think that would be so much fun and we could just carry on this conversation
1: yeah let's do it
0: awesome all right well before I let you go
1: see the band in October
0: absolutely Um, and before I let you go though tell everybody where to find you
1: the name of the podcast is just ask the question wherever find podcasts (laughs) or so you can also pick up the book it's called free the press and I write a weekly column for salon.com and on Thursdays, uh, this Thursday, talking about subtlety in government <laughs> and, uh, and of course, uh, variety of appearances on television whenever somebody goes, we really need that obnoxious asshole on TV, get him back. <laughs> so, that's that's it in a nutshell. It's at Brian Carum for all those uh, social media applications.
0: Yes. And I'm also at um, author Kimberly on Twitter and Kimberly Johnson on Spoutable. Uh, L E Y. Thank you, Brian. It's always awesome talking to you. It's always fun. (laughs) You take care.